0: So now we are in chapter 4. We started chapter 4 last week talking about our unity, our church's unity, that the things that we are to be unified on, and the, the three things, just to recap quickly, and you can uh, go back and re-listen to the message if you want, or listen to it the first time. I highly encourage you to do so. But we are, we are to be united in our calling, our conduct, and our creed. Our calling, our conduct, and our creed. Our calling, what we talked about in chapters 1 through 3, how God has called us in Christ, and that's one thing we share in common. That, that is what unifies us, is our calling. The next is our conduct and how we, how we act and our patience, our humility uh, and, and gentleness and, and bearing with one another in love. And, and then how we are eager to maintain the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. And then we are also united in our creed what we believe. And, and so those are the things that we unite on. Right? Everything else, we can just kind of sweep to the side. What we look like, where we came from, all of those things could be swept to the side. What families we are from, those things could be swept to the side. This is what we unify on as a church. This is what we unify on. Boom. Our calling, our conduct, and our creed. So if, if, if ours, if yours, and mine, and every member of this church from now until Christ's, Return is united in these three things, then, then our unity is going to be rock solid. Our unity is going to be rock solid. It's when we stray outside of those three, those three things is when things begin to break down, things begin to shatter. And so we want everything to be zeroed in on these things. We want to be zeroed in on those three areas. And if we are, then nothing can separate us at all. Now, Today's passage sort of takes a, a little bit different turn, still talking in the context of Christian unity and unity in the church, but it takes a different turn, a little bit upside down from what we were talking about before and the things that we have in common, like our calling and our conduct and our creed. But today, we are going to talk about what the church, a healthy church, is united on is not just what we are having in common, but also what we are diverse in, Right? What our diversity looks like. We are vastly diverse. And I'm not talking about culture. I'm not talking about uh, you know skin color. I'm not talking about families. I'm not talking about where you're from. I'm talking about our diversity uh, uh, here. And I'll get to that in a little bit and explain it to you. And that diversity that, diversity that we have been given uh, in our church is, is our different roles and in our different gifts. Our, our roles and our different gifts. So let me illustrate really quick why these things are important before we we jump into the text. For those who are in Christ, those who are a Christian, it seems like that we are always an incomplete project, a project that is not done. And if you've ever lived in a construction zone of a house, some people are looking at their spouses, if you've ever lived in that and amongst that and transition, you understand how it feels. And sometimes as a Christian, we feel that way. Like we're just completely undone. And it seems like we're, we're never going to be made new. Like we're never going to be finished. Well, biblically, until Christ's return or until you die, you will not be finished. You will always have sanctification in need of sanctification. So... Pretty safe to say that all of us kind of feel like that at times. And it's because we are. We're unfinished projects. We're not not completely done. We're a long way from holiness. We're a long way from perfection. And yet for those who are in Christ, something that we we often forget, we often forget is, is that the one who has saved us, the one who has called us holy, and blameless. Remember the word saints? We talked about that. One who has done these things is also the one who is continually sanctifying us, making us new. So I had a illust- I, I use an illustration where that if, if I could magically take your life and, and, and your the things that maybe you thought today or maybe in the last week and the things that you acted upon, maybe the, the sin, and we just kind of Replace replaced the questions, and we put them up here, and here is your life so everybody can see it. It's pretty safe to say that we all would be kind of in shame. And you'd probably be pretty ticked off at me that I used my magical powers to do such a thing, such a heinous thing, right? All right it's pretty safe to say that's what we would, we would, what we would be on. But what I want you to understand about progressive sanctification, that if I made this chart a little bit bigger, and I went from today all the way back to the day that Jesus called you and saved you, that I think you would begin to see a progression. It would be easy to look at today and go, "Ah, I'm terrible. I'm not growing. What is this? What's going on? Why why do I feel this way? Why is this always like I'm unfinished, like I'm just never getting anywhere, like one step forward and 27 steps back? Why is that? And if we take the the long scope of things to when Christ saved us to even today, I think it's pretty safe to say that we could look at that picture and we would see Jesus' grace and mercy and how he has been sanctifying you. Things that, that, that maybe that were uh, uh, sins before are no longer in, you're in bondage to. That's sanctification. That's progressive sanctification. Now, all of that, and the reason why I'm getting to that and how we're going to talk about roles and gifts is because what I want to really drive home today is that our roles and our gifts that we have in the church together produces that sanctification. That is what God has, has, has put in place as to be the area that sanctifies you. So, so maybe the things that, that we're, we're upset about, we're disappointed on this chart here, is because maybe we haven't been using the gifts and the roles of the body of Christ to bring about sanctification in our life. We've, we've played Lone Ranger. Mr. Independent, Miss Independent, I don't need anybody else. And a lot of it's not motivated out of pride. It's actually motivated out of shame, in which, by the way, shame and guilt when you don't want to do the right thing is still motivated by pride. It's a false sense of pride that you still know what's better than what the Bible says to do. So, this passage today shows us that what God has set in place for your sanctification and for my sanctification is his Church. And that's us, right? Here it is. Like I'm not talking about some, some floating pie in the sky that doesn't exist. It's us. We're right here. The individuals, the you and I. It's all about what the Lord is doing in us. So, this passage this morning is talking about the, the gifts that have been given to us by, by Christ for our sanctification and then the roles that the Lord has set, uh, set in place for us in the church for our sanctification for our joy, and for us to put those things into action. So let's dig in. Let's look at verse 7. Everybody got the questions? We good? I'll give you just a second so I can take a sip. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We're going to stop there today. For the building up of the body of Christ. And our first point here, the first point is this. We have been given diverse gifts. The church has been given diverse gifts. And we see that in verses 7 through 10. These diverse gifts. So right there, verse 7, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Once again, the theme of Ephesians, by grace, through grace, and with grace, not only have we been saved and are we being sanctified, but we have also, by grace, through grace, and in grace, we have each of us been given gifts. Gifts. We have been given gifts. Gifts to each one of us. So once again, we're not just talking about some corporate identity we have been given gifts. You, if you are in Christ, then He has given you a measure of a gift. And yes, gift the salvation, but I'm talking about spiritual gifts. What are the spiritual gifts? Now, some of us, if you've been raised in church, you know church, and you've been around, you've heard these things before. But what? What uh, these gifts are, are, are these are given to us as kind of a, a supernatural way to bring about the, uh, the work of the kingdom of God here on this earth and, and ministering and serving and loving one another. In the rest of Scripture and some other places in Scripture, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, uh, some of those gifts are listed as wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discernment, teaching... Helps and services, administration, evangelism, shepherding, counseling, encouragement, giving, leadership, mercy, hospitality, tongues, prophecy. Nineteen. Nineteen different gifts have been given to the church. Now, here in Ephesians chapter 4, he doesn't list these things out as he does in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And the point is this. That the reason why he doesn't do that is so that we can unpack the gifts, and that's what we're not going to do today. But the reason why he does that is he wants you to look at the gift giver, not at the gift. So on Christmas morning, when you get the gift, he wants your focus to be on the gift giver, as the one who's marveling, smiling at you as you open it and receive that. Gift. He wants you to focus on the the gift giver and that is Christ because it has been by grace has he given each and every one of us gifts like that list right there. He's given us one of those gifts or multiple of those gifts and we'll talk a little bit more about how some of those things work out. Isn't that amazing? And he has done so by by what he has said. According to, to his measure, what he has ordained. The gifts I have are not the gifts that you have. Maybe, some, some of them we might share, maybe not. Because he is given accordingly to his measure, and also to what the church needs, what the people need. In verses 8, and eight, 9, and 10, he, basically what we see here is we see where the gifts come from. And the gifts that we, that we have received have all been achieved by Christ. Right? And, and it's not like he went out to Walmart and bought gifts and wrapped them all up and gave them to us. No, he achieved them in the death, burial, and resurrection of himself, Right, of, of Christ. And so the quotation that we see in, I think it's verse, verse 8, the quotation that we see in verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is a, a psalm of victory, a victory over his enemies. Right, It's the, the kingly victory over his enemies. And when a king would, would have victory over his enemies, he would come back into his capital city, up marching to, through the city, and, and he has all the spoils of war that he has brought with him. And he also brings back maybe the captives, right? Those who were captured by the enemy, he frees and brings them back with him. And that's what we see here is happening. One of the the, the captives that have now been brought to us and brought to the church and bought by Christ is our gifts. He has bought our gifts in his death, burial, and resurrection. And what we see in in verse 10 or 9 and 10 is we basically just see a translation of that. The, the, uh, I love, you, you got to look. If you want to interpret Scripture, want to know what Scripture means, look to Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And this is a very good, e- uh, uh, um, a very obvious thing to see here. And our editors put the parentheses there to kind of show that to you. This is what it means. This is what it means for when our, our Savior uh, uh, descended and ascended as a victorious king, that He gave us gifts. He bought for us gifts, and he alone has the authority to give those gifts. He alone has the authority to give you gifts and to give me gifts of such nature. And he does so to what pleases him. What extravagant generosity of our Savior. What extravagant generosity of our our, our conquering king. He didn't owe us didn't owe us such good gifts for our sanctification, for us and for others and for the church. He didn't owe us these things, and yet he bought them. It makes the cross, the death, burial, resurrection, I like to summarize it as the DBR, right? It makes the DBR that much more amazing. And, And I'll show you how that even works out in a little bit later, how that is amazing. Just closing this one point real quick before I move to the next one. Two quick implications, I want to just kind of remind us that in, in Christ we we are all gifted by grace. We are all gifted by grace. All the gifts that we will do, all those gifts that we name, the wisdom, the discernment, the generosity, the hospitality, the, the, the leadership, the teaching, the shepherding, the counseling, all, all of those things that we we will do, they are all given to us by grace. And if it's all given to us by grace, it gives us another thing just to sit and marvel at. To marvel at Christ again. And that if we are in Christ, then he has done these things. We exercise these gifts. We exercise these gifts according to the, to the measure of Christ's gift. All the ministry that we will do, for each other, in this world, in this church, all the ministry that we do, all the ministry that, that I do is all an extension of the ministry of Christ. You're not by yourself, it's not, it's not your ministry, it's Christ's ministry. It's an extension of what he has done, and therefore we continue that. And so we, when we are honored, when we are honored for that particular ministry that we do or or, or we're, we're blessed and someone compliments us or whatever it is, when we're honored for using it, we give glory to Christ. When we see someone else use their gifts, we give glory to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. So along with the gifts that we are given to each one in Christ, he has also, by grace and by his mercy, he's given us different roles and different positions among the body of Christ. And this is point two. Diverse roles are given to the church. Verse 11. We see a list here, right? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So along with how he has given us, by grace, gifts for each other, for our sanctification, for our gifts to be exercised in the church for our sanctification... He has also given us people. People who serve as shepherds and evangelists and prophets and teachers. He gave. I have to to stop again, and, and I have to ask the question, what would motivate the Son of God, again, giving us something else? What would motivate that? Once again, what is owed? Extravagant love. Mercy and grace. And he gives us exactly what we need. You you wouldn't necessarily say, as a Christian, if if I asked you, what are the things that you need as a Christian to to be sanctified? We probably wouldn't really say this list here, would we? We'd say, uh, maybe I need a church and go to a good church. I need my Bible. Um, I want time to pray. Um maybe a good friend or something like that. We, we would say some all great things. But would we say these things? Would we say our gifts? Would we say that we need shepherds, that we need teachers, that we need the apostles and prophets? And yet he gave, out of mercy, out of grace, exactly what we need, as a good, kind father would do. As a good, kind father does. And so he gives us gifted and called individuals to shepherd, teach, teach, and preach to us for our sanctification, for your maturity, and for your growth in Christ. So here we are, we're set up with these positions. And so let's go over each one of these particular ones so we can understand what they mean. First one is apostles. Now we're familiar with this because we, we know the apostles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you know, not Luke, but John, and, and, and then all the other guys, Peter, and, and then Paul, right? We see, we see the apostles, Right? And we, we understand and, and the common definition of what we think of apostles, the one who has been with Christ, right? who has seen Jesus, right? seen Jesus with his, with his own physical eyes. So we don't, we don't use that term very often, do we? We don't, we don't call people apostles, at least we shouldn't. I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't, I don't agree with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it, but, but, but it's the one who's been with Jesus and then the person who is a messenger, so, so a little a maybe apostles, but for the most part we don't we don't use that word. And the reason why is because the authority that the apostles had in the in the New Testament was an authority that God gave them, in, you know through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then those apostles, what did they do? They, of course, they preached, they planted churches. But what did they do that now? What we have? What did they do? They gave us the Bible, right? They 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 wrote they wrote the scriptures, inspired. By the Holy Spirit. So, what does our kind of our apostolic teaching come from? The Bible, right? Scripture. That's right. So, our authority, as Christ has given the apostles to the new church, to us. As I guess we're still a new church, but to uh, later on church, not the apostles are gone. He has also given us the apostles in the Scripture. So when we say that he gave us the apostles, he has. He has given us the apostles. He has given us his word. The second thing is prophets. A prophet is one who speaks for God. One who who spoke revelation for God. Sometimes they simply expound revelation that has already been given. The New Testament context of, of prophets has always been one who, who heralds the gospel to the church or, or heralds the excellencies of God to the church. The prophets were teachers of the word. Now you're like, well, teachers, that's another position. Well, prophet is always a teacher. right? A teacher is not always a prophet. They can be. A prophet is always a teacher, and they're always sent to the church to preach the word. So what would we say are the prophets of today? Who are the prophets of today? We're a little uncomfortable using that term, I get it. But, but who are the prophets today? Who, what are they, who are they? The preachers, the pastors who preach, who expound the revelation of, of God from the apostolic teaching. The third position that we have listed here is evangelists. Evangelists. These are the people who, who proclaim the gospel. And they proclaim the gospel to the church, but namely, they proclaim the gospel to unbelievers. They proclaim the gospel to unbelievers. So prophets, they go to the church, evangelists go to the world, to the unbelievers, right? And so we have people in the old in the New Testament that were like that. Philip in Acts 21. Was, was called an evangelist. Uh, Timothy and 2 Timothy chapter 4 was called an evangelist, and he was calling them to do the work of an evangelist, to do the work of, of, any, of the evangelist. The main uh, emphasis of the ministry of, of uh, an evangelist is to share the gospel. And when they shared the gospel, such as Philip and, and Timothy, they shared the gospel, and then they planted churches. Then they, they, they planted churches and when they, that church was established and planted and they had elders and leaders of the church, structures set in place for the growth of the church, the evangelists went and planted and preached in other places. Evangelists are sent to the lost for the spread of the gospel, for the planting of churches and for the edification of the church. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves evangelists. And if this, and if, an evangelist does go, if an evangelist goes out on their own authority, and they are not under authority of the church, then they are not an evangelist. You hear what I'm saying? An evangelist is always under the authority of the church. Always. We have to be discerning. They're always under authority in the church because every single one of these positions have been given to the church. Not for some guy to have a job and, and, and be itinerant and not be under authority. Number four, we have shepherds. We have shepherds. We talked about shepherds. I think we spent like one whole Sunday talking about shepherds when we, when we had our, our, uh, our series through uh, the elders. But the shepherd same word in the Bible is used for pastor. So when we say pastor, we're saying our, our, our shepherd, right? And it's not li- a, a, a job title as much as it is a job description. You guys remember that? And it's a job description. So when we say a pastor is a shepherd, and that describes that position in which they do, right? The shepherd counsels, the shepherd guides, the shepherd nurtures and watches over it they also are overseers, and elders can be used in this position as well. But there also could be shepherds even among you, because sometimes you all shepherd someone else. Sometimes you, you're, you walk with someone hand in hand, counseling them. That's shepherding them. We wouldn't necessarily call you a pastor, or we wouldn't call you a, a shepherd in a sense, but you're using the gift of a shepherd, counseling one another, caring for one another, being there for one another, maybe even overseeing in a sense. The fifth positions we are given, teachers. Y'all know what a, a teacher is. They impart and they expound the word of God. Right, and as I said earlier, you know about the prophets. A teacher is not always a prophet or a shepherd, but shepherds and prophets are always teachers. So, so many of y'all could be teachers, could be teachers of of the word. What about you? Have you been? Have are, are you? Have you been willing to be one of these? Are you willing to be one of these? Are you willing to be a a teacher or a shepherd in the church? Now, we've been given a purpose, and this is coming to our third point. We've been given a purpose for these spiritual gifts. The gifts and the roles have a purpose, and that is our responsibility that has been given to us as a church. Let's look at verse 12 again. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, so he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we have been given the gifts, we have been given these positions, these roles for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. They have been given for, the, for your equipping. What does it mean to be equipped? What does it mean to be, to be equipped? Meaning, meaning you, you have what it takes, right? You have the, the resources to complete the task. And what is the task? The task is the, the work of the ministry. And so we have been given gifts and we have been given these roles, these positions, the, the apostles in the scripture, the prophets, the preachers, the teachers, right? And shepherds. We've been given those things so that you can be equipped. And when I say you, I mean us. And I mean the individual again. You, to be, to be equipped. So the, the fruit of the gifts, the fruit of the, the shepherds and teachers and prophets is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry we we already established that we all have been given gifts by grace we have been given gifts and by grace we have been given these leaders and teachers so that we would accomplish the work of the ministry we would accomplish the work of the ministry, the equipping, to be made ready, to be complete. And I want to add on to that, to be without excuse. Right? Looking at our teachers over here, right? how many times do you hear a student say, I didn't bring my pencil today? Or have you heard that? Of course, we all know, the rest of us know. And of course, they know this too, by the way, that that was just a lousy excuse, meaning we just didn't do it, we're lazy, it wasn't important to us, and I didn't really forget it, I just didn't care. Right. There we go, we admit it, forgive us. All right. We all, we all have, have, uh, have done it. How many of us have kind of lived that way? As if Christ hasn't given us gifts. As if we have not been made equipped. Being made complete, being ready. And we're being made equipped. We're being made equipped through, through the preaching and the teaching of the, the Word of God. And what we say when we hear the preaching and teaching of the word of God is sovereign grace church, we believe and hold to expository preaching. The word itself. Let the word of God speak for itself. Not our own agendas, not what we want you to do, but what God has said for it to be done. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in the power of Scripture. Second Timothy 3:16, 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what do we need to be complete and ready for every good work? We need the teaching of the Scripture. That's what's profitable. That's what we need. So preaching and teaching. We come alongside the preaching with, with prayer. Acts chapter 6 2 through 4 says, And the twelve summoned all full number of the disciples and said, Is it not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables? Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Prayer. Prayer. Number three, testing and suffering is used by the Lord in His goodness and His grace to refine us, to bring about discipline and to purge sin out from the deepest, darkest parts of our hearts. Sanctification. James chapter 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its Full effect. And that full effect is this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing equipped. I added that from context to Ephesians 4. You are equipped. And the one way we are equipped is through that, through suffering, through trials. And our faith produces steadfastness. And when it's complete, it makes us perfect, makes us complete. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, The God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So here are the ways that we are being equipped. We are equipped through the preaching and teaching of the Word. We are equipped by prayer. We are equipped through suffering. We are equipped. And we need to be equipped for shepherds and teachers, not who are just talented and gifted, and there are certainly those who are out there who are talented and gifted, those who are entertaining, those who have a certain charisma and certain good speaking skills. What we need desperately more than that is we need pastors and teachers who will expose to us the scripture, who will teach us the scripture. And show us how to apply it to our lives. Someone who will, people who will model it for us. Someone who can say confidently, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we need. My hope and prayer is that we have that here at Sovereign Grace. As a shepherd and teacher, it's my job. It's my ministry. It's my my calling to fulfill the purpose of equipping you of equipping you for the, for the work of the ministry. That's, that is right there to me, to equip you for the, for the work of the ministry. That is the most important thing that, that I can do, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And, and the way I do that is through the preaching and teaching of the Word, for praying for you all. And I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to let everything else fall, fail. Besides that, as long as I draw breath, as long as the Lord gives me the grace to preach and to teach, I will promise to preach faithfully to you. To expose the word rightly and correctly, to, to equip you. But everything else can fail. But that won't. Because it's for the work of the ministry. This is God's design, that you would be equipped for the work of of the ministry, God's design for the church, his structure for the churches, for the teachers, the shepherds to equip you all for the work of the ministry. That's what the elders and the overseers do, they equip you for the work of the ministry. The problem what we see in the church today is, is they've, they've decided that they don't want to do the work of the ministry. And so they've hired people to do the work of the ministry for them. So we got this kind of this paralleled universe created in the church. And what has it done? It's created burnt-out pastors who don't make it in the ministry anymore, and, and very nominal, weak Christians, if Christian at all, producing no fruit. They're not doing the, the work of the ministry, and very little fruit is being produced because you have a group of, you know X amount, let's just say, 30, and only three of them are doing the work of the ministry. How, how do we accomplish what we are called to do? The work of the ministry is to be done by all of us. Imagine just how much more productive we will will be, how much the Lord will use us because I am gifted in a certain way and you are gifted in a certain way that's different from my gifts. And God in His good providence has done that in a sense that if I'm trying to now do what you're doing because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, we're never going to accomplish what God has for us. We're never going to get there. And guess who's going to get the blame? Right? And Kenny, too. We're going to throw him under the bus with us. And Pastor Bill, right? Since he's not here, we're definitely going to blame him. We are, the, the whole body is to be aggressively involved in ministry. Aggressively involved in ministry. And I don't mean busyness, okay? So let's, let's translate that. That's another thing, a mark of a successful church, is how busy are we? How many things are we doing? How many events are we doing? How many events can we do with the kids? How many pizza parties can we do? And all those are great. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're not useful, helpful, fun, awesome, all that stuff. But busyness does not equate spirituality. Busyness does not equate real gospel-centered ministry where lives are changed, Jesus is exalted, and people treasure Christ. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't equate that. But what I'm talking about is real gospel-centered ministry where the Spirit works in your life in such a way where it causes this, this organic growth takes place where you need to do something. To preach the gospel to your friend. To find a younger brother or sister in Christ and just be their friend. To pray for the body. To see a need and and aggressively meet that need. To go after it. The things that we are called to do in ministry, the things that you are called to do in ministry, are not to be done in our strength, but by the gifts that he has given us. Because if they're done in our strength, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? We do. I don't want it. I don't want glory. I want Christ to be glorified. I want the the resurrected Savior to be glorified. I want the the, the Savior who who gave everything so that I could be saved. For the work of the ministry, for y'all to be equipped for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the church. I love this. I I love this because now we have a, a whole new definition of what it means to be building up a church or building up of the church. Ministry now looks totally different. It looks totally different. It's not about building buildings and structures, but it's about building people. Because that's what God's doing, right? God's not building buildings. God's building people. God's building you. God's building me. He's not building a building. That's what I love about the Honey Bone building, right? I love it. through the week when I drive by, and I see all these other organizations using this. I drove by yesterday, and I think there was someone having a family reunion here. And I loved it because at first I kind of wanted to get a little jealous, like, that's my place. And then I was like, no, the people, we're the church. That's just where we meet, man. That's it. Because God is building us, you and me, not structure. Not structures. So I was able to praise the Lord and pray for those people. That they're having a good time and that they keep it clean so we don't get blamed for anything. I thought about that too. He's building a people. He is building a people. He is building his church. When Christ said, upon this rock I will build my church, he's not talking about a foundation of concrete. He's talking about us. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon the work of the apostles, he's building his church. He's building us. If you are not being built up, if you are, if you are not being built up, then, then, then something's gone wrong. If you are not building others up, something has gone wrong. And, and maybe, maybe just kind of first step. You just never heard of this before. Maybe you just never heard this, so we can claim ignorance, and by the way, ignorance is a negative word, but sometimes when we realize we're ignorant, it's a good thing. So if if you think I'm assaulting you, I'm trying not to. But if we're ignorant of something, it's a good thing, because now we know. If you remain in that ignorance, then that's not good. But if we're not being built up, if we're not building others up, then something's wrong. So first we need to to look at ourselves. But do you first look at yourself. Think about yourself. What's happening there? Are you applying the scripture to your life? Are you taking everything that we've been talking about in Ephesians and have you been applying this? Have you been applying the, the work of the gospel and who Christ is to your life? Are you submitting humbly to the word, to the authority of scripture? Are you submitting to that? Are you using your gifts to serve others? Are you humble enough to... To see truth. Some of us are just, some some can be so blinded. Pride has made us so blinded to this. Nine times out of ten, the problem will lie with you first. So one thing we need to always cultivate is look at ourselves before we address other people. That's what Jesus was saying, right? Before you go point out the speck and so on, look at yourself and be honest. Are you humbled to see the truth? using your gifts to serve others, submitting to the word of God, applying the scripture to yourself. Something's gone wrong. Look to look at yourself. And I think the second thing. The second thing if something's gone wrong is maybe you're not really in Christ. And by the way, if if that's a realization that you have today this morning, do not be ashamed. Praise the Lord his spirit he's revealed that to you because this morning we can share with you the gospel we can share with you who christ is and you can be saved he's doing that in his grace now five things i want to end with just kind of summing things up not i but christ First Corinthians 15, 8-10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, listen to this, brothers and sisters, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any, other, any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Our gifts, our roles that we fulfill in our church, when we are equipped to do the work of the ministry for the building up of of the church, we always want to recognize not I but Christ. We always want to believe and see that it is not I but Christ. All of our gifts have been given for the equipping, the edifying, the building up, the serving, the putting others over ourselves. Is not I but Christ. We are so dependent creatures. To do the work of the ministry, we need God's grace. We need His grace. Second, these gifts are for the church, so use them. These gifts are for the church, so use them. Use your gifts. Use the gifts that He has given you for the church and in the church. We are all given uh, different portions and different gifts and different talents, so that we could use them in the church. They're not to be made to be used for ourselves and the, the uplifting of our of ourselves and to make ourselves look good before others. But it's to be for others and to serve others and to put others before ourselves. Some of y'all caught in the list when I read those those spiritual gifts, some of the, what we would say, more of the charismatic gifts. This is the great sin of the charismatic movement. The great sin is is that they used those gifts, if they're really their gifts to have in the first place, and they distorted them such a way that it was for them. They made it about themselves. They made it about building themselves up and making themselves look great before everybody else, not for the building up of the church. You can see it. If you're in Christ, you have have gifts, spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts that that have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ himself, and he has also then given them out to you to be used. And these gifts, brothers and sisters, they need to be cultivated. They They need to be nurtured. They need to be exercised. The more you use them, the more you will see them. The better you'll become at it. The more you use them, the more you'll know how to use them even more. You know how you find your your spiritual gift and figure out what your spiritual gift is? Take that list and just start doing it. Trial and error, brother. Trial and error, sister. If you mess up, say, well, maybe the Lord didn't give me that one. I'm going to the next one. Trial and error. Trial and error is the the best way to discover what, what gifts you have. Ask someone else. Ask someone else. What? What gift do you think that I, may, I, I, I have? What do, you, what do you see? What, do you, what evidences of, of, of grace, of the great gift of Christ that I have? Where should, what should I be doing? What am I missing? What, what, what am I not seeing? What's in my blind spot that I can't see? And using our gifts is, is, is when we will see true ministry take place true ministry that's gospel-centered, Christ-exalting. You know, we, we, we could build structures, we could build ministries, what we would traditionally call ministries, and we will make ourselves feel like we're doing something. And then the, in the end, I think we will quickly soon see how unsatisfying it is because we're really not doing anything. Ministry takes place with the persons, with the people, together. So we all have gifts, so use them. Third one is trust in Christ for the gifts when we need them, when we need them. So I, I do not believe that you'll, you'll figure out your spiritual gifts by taking one of those tests. How I many of you all know what I'm talking about? The spiritual gift inventory, Right. You probably can Google it on the internet. I don't, I don't believe in those. I think those are terrible. And the reason why I think they're terrible is because what they do is, is you kind of take the test, and it's a multiple choice, and you kind of fill it out the way you want it to look like. You kind of just do that, right? And, and, then, and then you just kind of make it look like, oh, okay, I'm a leader. You should follow me. See? I got the paper that says it right here. I'm a leader. Right? Or, or uh, I don't really like people in my house, so anything that looks hospitable, I'm going to not answer that, right? And, and so it kind of boxes us. I think there's some helpful to them, but, but um, we'll not use them because I think the best way to discover it is to seek the Lord, uh, trial and error, and, and things like that. It doesn't, it doesn't really help. It's according to God's life, It's according to what, what God has given us, what Christ has given us, the measure which he has given us and what he has provided for us. Now, I also believe that we all have gifts, but I also believe that Jesus gives us gifts when we need them, that you may have a gift for a time, then you may not have that gift anymore. Let me explain to you what I mean here. Maybe you don't have the gift of generosity. Generosity. Maybe you don't, you don't have that gift. Of course, have, the Christian virtue of generosity is there. You give. But, but the over and abundant, you know, spiritual thing of generosity, which is just you, you love to do. You know that is, that is definitely spirit-led and spirit-driven. You, just, you don't have that, but you still, of course, are striving to be faithful and your giving to the Lord and giving to the church and giving to others. Right? You, you get that. And sometimes you will see a need. You don't have that gift, right? You'll see a need. And the Holy Spirit will impress you in such a way that you will meet that need. And, and you'll meet that need by, by sacrifice. You'll literally go without so that someone else could have. And then you'll look back and you say, I've never given like that before in my life. That was the spirit. Giving you the gift of of, of generosity to meet that need. And, and guess what happens there? Guess what happens there? The person's need is met. The person who pleaded with the Lord, praised to the Lord, said, God, I need this. I need this to be, be met, but your will be done. The need is met, and guess what that person's doing? They're thanking God. They're like, praise the Lord, you have met my need. They see the goodness of God and providing for them through the people, through the church. And then number two, you you are being sanctified because because you give in a place that maybe you've never given before. And now you're more open to give than you ever had before. And I think last but least is all glory is given to Christ. Because of the rich work of sanctification, love, and provision for each of them. So imagine, I just took, and actually there's a fourth provision there, and that is there's unity in the church. And I know that's just one example. So can you imagine all the different ways, if we're all using the gifts, how many times this is going to happen? And if those four things are happening, you know, a gajillion times every week, because a multiplication of us all using these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can imagine it. That's why I'm excited. You know, apply the giving to hospitality. Apply it to wisdom and discernment and leadership and teaching and evangelism and nursing and care and shepherding. We trust in Christ for the gifts when we need them. We marvel at the diversity We marvel at the diversity of gifts that are amongst us. We marvel at it, and we give glory to Christ. If we're not doing this, then we're missing the glorious, mysterious, sovereign beauty of of how he has given us gifts. When we use our gifts, we we get to look at Christ there. When a brother and sister serves us supernaturally in a spiritual way, we get to marvel at Christ together we get to marvel at Christ and what he has done for his church and providing for his church and then we get to see how it all works together how all these things are being worked together like a well old machine we need each other we, we need each other in, in, in doing these gifts we, we need each other in, in honoring one another We need each other in in encouraging one another so that when you see a brother and sister exercise a spiritual gift for you or for the church, we honor them and we we commend them and say, praise the Lord and how he is using you in his body and for his people. We marvel at the diversity of, of these gifts amongst the church and we give all glory to Christ because these gifts and these talents and these abilities are not for us, they're not to us but they are for Christ and they are for the church and for others do not look at another person and their gifts and be jealous of them because you are gifted in a way that the church needs just as much to be jealous is to cause dissension that is, that is pride but marvel and be thankful for God's good provision and, and giving them such a good gift so we are to marvel at the diversity and the last one we are to apply the word and I know I've already talked about this. We apply the word. God has put people over us to shepherd us, to teach us, for the, equipping, for the equipping of the ministry, right? To doing the work of the ministry. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That is... Uh, that is, gives me chills every time I read that. Says, goes on and says, let them do this, meaning the, the, sh- the leaders, let them do this with, with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Can, can we see how it does us no good to, re- to rebel or neglect or to ignore or to just kind of just take the teaching that we get and just kind of brush it off to the side? Not a, take the time to, to apply the word that we've been taught by our shepherds and teachers. The problem that we have, and sometimes we like to make the excuse that it's not new. It's the same old thing. right? I've, I've heard this before. I don't, need, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to apply this anymore. The problem isn't you're, because you're not learning anything new. The problem is, is that maybe we've never really applied the scripture in the first place. Maybe we've never applied the this, this, this scripture to us in the first place. So maybe it's not because it's not new, or because we've not heard, or because we've heard it before. It's maybe because we've never even applied it to ourselves. All right, wrapping up. The whole thing that we have here is we must believe. We must be willing that all of this, this whole thing, the church and church membership is not about me. It's not about my comforts. It's not about what my desires. It's not about my my wants, but it is to love Jesus and to love others and to serve others with the gifts that he has given us. We must pray for wisdom. We must pray for discernment. That the Lord would show us how to use our gifts to serve and love one another. We must encourage one another in that, right? Then we commend one another in, in how the gifts are being used. How we're going to care for one another. How we're going to get to know one another. How we're going to fellowship with one another. Just really basic. I'll, I'll, I'll strip it down to, to the basic. You want to you strip out pride out of your heart? Be hospitable. You want to you stop being materialistic? given over to things? Give. Give. Be generous in Christ. You want to do these things? Be, be hospital. Ha, have dinner with someone else. Have them come over to your house. Invite people over. When we begin to do these things, as I said earlier, as we begin to do these things, oh, how Christ will be glorified. Christ will be glorified, you will be sanctified, and the church will be built up. That's it. Like, it, it seems so simple. It seems so simple, right? It's the, it's the Bible. It tells us right here, right? We, we want to be a church that loves Christ. We want people to be built up and equipped for the work of the ministry. And here it is. We want to be encouraged. And here it is be obedient to the word. Let's pursue the gifts in which he has given us. Let's cultivate them. Let's exercise them. Let's put them into work. Let's, have, let's, let's put some faith in them. How about that? Let's put some faith in them. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We give you the glory for the gifts that you have given. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to get excited about finding and discovering these gifts and, and even the ones that we've we never even thought we would have so that we may stand amazed and marvel at the gift giver. And we may encourage one another in your word and that your church will be built up because our members have committed to doing the work of the ministry the ministry of loving one another, the ministry of serving one another, the ministry of taking the gospel to the nations. Lord, have your way as we continue to respond together now corporately. In Jesus' name, amen.